Chapter Twenty One of the Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. Edited by William Patton. Chapter Twenty One Hard to Hit by ernest ingersoll the spring weather we sometimes have in march reminds me especially in the evening of some days passed so high up in the rocky mountains that the summer was left down in the valley one such spring-like evening we camped close to the timber limit and i made my first trip into the region above in which no trees grow having left the spruce woods quickly behind there came stiff climbing up ledges of broken rocks standing cliff-like to bar the way to the summit these surmounted the way was clear for from the northeast the side i was on this mountain presents a smooth grassy slope to the very top but the western side of the range is a series of rocky precipices seamed and shattered this is true of many mountains in colorado just above the cliffs grew a number of dwarfed spruces some of them with trunks six inches in diameter yet lying flat along the ground so that the gnarled and wind-pressed boughs were scarcely knee-high they stood so closely together and were so stiff that i could not pass between them but on the other hand they were strong enough to bear my weight so that i could walk over their tops when it was inconvenient to go around some small brown sparrows of two or three species lived there and they were very talkative sharp metallic chirps were heard also as the blue snowbird flitted about showing the white feathers on either side of its tail in scudding from one sheltering bush to another doubtless careful search would have discovered its home snugly built of circularly laid grasses and tucked deeply into some cosy hollow beside the root of a spruce my pace now became slow for in the thin air of a place twelve thousand feet above the sea level climbing is exhausting work but before long i came to the top and stood on the verge of a crag that showed the crumbling action of water and frost gaping cracks seamed its face and an enormous mass of fallen rock covered the broad slope at its foot the very moment i arrived there i heard a most lively squeaking going on apparently just under the edge of the cliff or in some of the cracks it was an odd noise something between a bark and a scream and i could think of nothing but young hawks as the authors of it so i set at work to find the nest but my search was in vain while the sharp squeaking seemed to multiply and to come from a dozen different quarters by this time i had crawled down the rough face of the cliff and had reached the heaps of fallen rock there i caught a glimpse of a little head with two black eyes like a prairie dog's peering out of a crevice and i was just in time to see him open his small jaws and say shink about as a rusty hinge would pronounce it i whipped my revolver out of my belt and fired but the little fellow dodged the bullet and was gone echoes rattled about among the rocks wandered up and down the cannon and hammered away at half a dozen stone walls before ceasing entirely but when they had died away not another sound was to be heard 
every little rascal had hid. So I sat down and waited. In about five minutes, a tiny, timid squeak broke the stillness, then a second a trifle louder, then one away under my feet in some subterranean passage. Hardly daring to breathe, I waited and watched. Finally, the chorus became as loud as before, and I caught sight of one of the singers, only about ten yards away, head and shoulders out of his hole, doubtless commenting to his neighbour in no complimentary way upon the strange intruder. Slowly lifting my pistol, I pulled the trigger. I was sure he had not seen me, yet a chip of rock flying from where he had stood was my only satisfaction. He had dodged again. I had seen enough, however, to know that the noisy colony was a community of little chief hares, Lagomis princeps, as they are named in the textbooks, or conies, as the silver miners call them. They are related to the woodchucks, as well as to the hare, and they live wholly at or above Timberline, burrowing among the fallen and decomposing rocks which crown the summits of all the mountains. Not every peak by any means harbours conies. On the contrary, they are rather uncommon, and are so difficult to shoot that their skins are rare in museums, and their ways are little known to naturalists. During the middle of the day they are asleep and quiet, but in the evening and all night when the moon shines, they leave their rocky retreats and forage in the neighbouring meadows, meeting the yellow-footed marmot and other neighbours. About the only enemies they have, I fancy, are the rattlesnake and weasel, excepting when a wildcat may pounce upon one, or an owl swoop down and cut up some rambler. In the cold season, of course, their burrows are deep in snow, but then the little fellows are taking their long winter sleep, and neither know nor care what the weather may be. An Indian will eat a coney, if he can catch it. He likes to use its fur also for braiding his locks into those long plaits which delight his soul. But the lively little rodents are pretty safe from all human foes, even one with a colt's revolver. End of chapter 21